Well, good morning. We, oh, thank you. We, uh, we are diverse somewhat in terms of age, uh, ethnicity, uh, and musical preferences. One or two of you probably like country music. We have uh, a diversity of political opinions. Keep them to yourself. <laughs> but, but we all have this one major thing in common, all of us disappointment. We all know what it's like to feel the ball and chain of disappointment wrapped so tightly around our ankle that we can barely move, dragging us down, keeping us down, holding us down. Now, there are uh, different levels of disappointment. There are low-level disappointments. Our favorite uh, NCAA basketball team doesn't win the tournament. Any Michigan fans in the house? You did not win the tournament. Uh, the Chinese buffet is out of wonton soup again. Uh, the It's a Small World ride at Disney is closed for repair. Uh, you get five likes on your selfie, your Instagram selfie. Uh, your crush for the last Three years finally has agreed to go on a date with you, and on the day of the date, you wake up with a dime-sized zit on your forehead. (laughs) Now, these disappointments, these low-level disappointments may seem small and silly, but when they accumulate, they can actually throw us off our spiritual game. Then there are uh, mid-level disappointments. A couple days before Christmas, my upstairs toilet overflowed, came through the ceiling all over the floor doing significant damage. To make matters worse, my mother-in-law was staying with us for the week. That's not hypothetical. You get cut from the team. Your boyfriend or girlfriend of two years breaks up with you. The promotion you were promised is withheld. The surgery to help your back only made it worse. just takes a several, several mid-level disappointments to kick us in the gut and take the wind out of our soul. And then there are high-level disappointments. Uh, your parents go to counseling for a year and still end up getting divorced. Um, one of your uh, loved ones goes through a round of chemo, and the cancer comes back uh, more fierce than ever. Your sibling gets out of rehab, and she's back on heroin. You find out you're infertile. You can't have kids. Your spiritual mentor, your hero, is having an affair with a married person in the church. It just takes one high-level disappointment to throw us in the desert of disappointment. And disappointment is a desert. Whenever you find yourself disappointed with God, with others, or with yourself, you are in a desert. A dry, rocky, barren, lifeless desert. Nothing seems to grow in the desert except cactus. Cactus everywhere. College has not turned out as I had hoped. Cactus. 
Marriage has not turned out as I had hoped, cactus. My kids have not turned out as I had hoped, cactus. My career has not turned out as I had hoped, cactus. My life has not turned out as I had hoped, cactus. Cactus, cactus everywhere. And when you're in a dry, that wasn't supposed to be funny. When you're in a dry, barren desert, the tongue of your prayer sticks to the roof of your mouth, shutting up your words. Christian depth is determined not by the profundity of our theology, not by how many Bible verses we have memorized, not by the size and scope of our ministry. Christian depth is determined by how we deal with the desert of disappointment. The number one Christian university is not Indiana Wesleyan University. That's number two. Some of you are here visiting. Glad you're here. It's a great school. Send your kids here. But it's number two. The number one Christian university is the desert of disappointment. The desert of disappointment determines the kind of person you will become and the kind of life you will live. The people of God, the Israelites, they're in a desert of disappointment. It's actually called the desert of sin in Exodus 16. Uh, it's rightly named, sin, S-I-N. And 45 days ago, these Hebrews, these Israelites, were actually slaves in the land of Egypt. And God showed up and did miracle after miracle after miracle, plague after plague after plague, frogs, blood, lice, locusts everywhere to, to deliver these Hebrew slaves out of bondage in Egypt. That was 45 days ago. But now they're in the desert of sin. They're in a desert of disappointment. And they don't like the menu options. And they complain. Exodus 16, 2. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you, Moses, have brought us out into this desert to starve the entire assembly to death. They have seen miracle after miracle after miracle. And now they're complaining about food 45 days later. They have the short-term memory of a toddler. They think with their belly like a junior high boy. And if I were God, I would probably rain down from heaven lightning bolts to devour these grumblers. But God graciously accommodates their knuckleheadedness, and he doesn't rain down bolts of lightning to devour them. He actually rains down bread from heaven called manna to sustain them in the desert of disappointment. And they are disappointed. They thought they would go from the land of slavery, Egypt, into the promised land of Canaan overnight. They did not anticipate a desert of disappointment in between. But that's what they got. And because they were disappointed, they were not grateful about what God did in the past, exodus from Egypt, and they were not hopeful about what God would do in the future, entry into Canaan. So they were not faithful in the present. And they did all sorts of crazy things in the desert, like worship a golden calf. And they ended up in the desert for four decades, 40 years. And they were scared of the desert. There was this common belief in Hebrew theology that there was this uh, desert demon named Azazel 
who ran around in the desert devouring people who got stuck there. Some of you uh, have had the cards of disappointment stacked up against you. You've experienced low, mid, high-level disappointments with God, with yourself, with others. And you are angry, apathetic, afraid, alone, abandoned. You've insulated yourself now from any hope or any feeling at all. You just sort of give up. You've become a little bit cactus-like. And when you're in the desert of disappointment, becoming cactus-like, the worst might come out of you in the desert. You're disappointed with God, so you look at porn. You're disappointed with people, so you lash out in anger on Facebook. You're disappointed with... uh, the last two things, the porn and the Facebook thing, and so to escape the shame of being disappointed with yourself, you, you drown your shame in some high alcohol content brew. The thing that gets longtime Christians is not temptation. I mean, in time we learn to resist the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. What gets us is not temptation. What gets us is disappointment. Because when we're disappointed, those once resistible temptations seem so stinking irresistible. And we start to experience what classic Christianity called acedia. Acedia literally means a lack of care. It's a lack of care about your lack of care. It's not caring to pray and not caring that you don't care to pray. It's a spiritual disease. It's singing with Phil Collins, if you're a child of the 80s, I don't care anymore. I don't care. Things that once satisfied you no longer fulfill you. You're bored with things that once excited you. You're despondent about things that once gave you hope. That's acedia. You still show up, but you're stuck in a rut. And when you're experiencing acedia, a lack of care about your lack of care in terms of your relationship with God, you start to withdraw from God. You start to put yourself in a prison of isolation, withdrawing from God, withdrawing from people. And when you are in the desert of disappointment and you withdraw from God and from people, you start seeing mirages in the desert that aren't really there. You start seeing the imaginary and thinking it's actually real. And because you've isolated yourself in your disappointment from God and from people, there's no one there to help you discern what's real and what's imaginary. And you die a slow spiritual death in the desert of disappointment. Well, two years have passed, and the Israelites are still in the desert of disappointment, and they're still complaining about the menu options. I'm in in Numbers chapter 11, verse uh, 4. The Israelites started wailing. If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. 
the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. But now we've lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. Don't you just want to tweak the Israelites in the forehead until you realize that we are them and they are us? Our spiritual ancestors are fumbling, grumbling, mumbling Hebrews. Well, Moses has had it. The people are disappointed with God. They're disappointed with Moses. And Moses, frankly, is disappointed with them and disappointed with God too. Moses has had it. And he offers up in response to their complaining, Numbers 11, I don't know, I guess you can call it a prayer. It's not the kind of prayer you want to pray in public around people who've disappointed you. It's not a prayer of praise. It's a prayer of honest lament filled with angst and anger at God and people. And here's what he prays. Listen to this. Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance of their tents. The Lord became exceedingly angry and Moses was troubled. He asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on oath to their ancestors? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me. Give me meat to eat. I can't carry all these people by myself. The burden's too heavy for me. If this is how you're going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me, God. If I found favor, kill me. Do not let me face my own ruin. Wow. Say what you want about that prayer. But at least Moses has the spiritual wherewithal to stay in communion with God when he's in the midst of disappointment with God. Because the easiest thing to do when you're disappointed with God is not run to him, but run from him and isolate. And at least Moses brings the junk, the honest lament to God. And this is a pattern in Moses' life. If you search the phrase, Moses fell face down, which comes up repeatedly in Moses' life, whenever he's disappointed, whenever he's frustrated with God, with others, or with himself, he falls face down and prays an honest prayer of lament. One of the morsels of manna that sustains us in the desert of disappointment is communion with God when we least want to be with him. Honest lament. There's another morsel of manna that sustains us in the desert of disappointment. It comes right after that prayer. God responds to Moses. He says to Moses, Bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there and I will take some of the power of the spirit that is on you, Moses, and put it on those 70 elders. Listen, they will share the burden of the people with you. They will share the burden of the people with you so that you will not have to carry it alone. Another morsel of manna in the desert of disappointment is communion with friends when you least want to be in communion with people. 
Moses would be in the desert for 40 years. And he didn't become a cactus. He had some bad moments, but he didn't become a cactus. Moses' life proves to us that we can endure more disappointment than we think. And that the disappointment that we experience in the desert can actually do something remarkably good to us. That the desert of disappointment can become a garden of grace. Prickly cactus is not the only thing that grows in the desert. So does the Rosa stellata, the desert rose, which grows best in dry, rocky, barren places. Moses teaches us that the morsels of manna that can sustain us and keep us from becoming a cactus and make us a rose in the desert of disappointment are, when we want at least, communion with God, communion with people. Jesus models this too, doesn't he? The people who knew Jesus best disappointed him most. All throughout the Gospels, he's disappointed. Peter, James, and John, his buddies, his tribe, uh, he begs them to keep watch with him while he goes into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray just on his dying day. They fall asleep three times. Judas, his friend, betrays him with a kiss. Peter, his best friend, denies him. And you would think that with all this disappointment, Jesus will become a cactus, that he would kind of clam up and close up and isolate from people and become apathetic and angry. He doesn't. In fact, in the last chapter of the last gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John 21, Jesus, instead of isolating from Peter who broke his heart, is moving toward communion with Peter on a beach. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? We often think Jesus asked that question for Peter's sake, and he did. But maybe Jesus asked that question for Jesus' sake, knowing that isolation from Peter would make him a cactus, and communion, despite his disappointment, would make him a rose. But what happens when God is disappointed with God? I mean, Jesus up on the cross like Moses, prays an honest prayer of lament. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's a lot of ways to interpret that saying of Jesus on the cross, but at the very least, Jesus was surprised by the disappointment he felt, shocked by a sense of the Father's abandonment. But instead of isolating from the Father, Jesus takes his pain to the Father. I feel abandoned by you while I'm doing what you called me to do in the way you called me to do it. Nevertheless, the next breath, into your hands I commit my spirit. The church practices communion with the Father and communion with friends to this day. The central ritual of the Christian faith is the sacrament of communion. Communion is a vivid, tactile Meaningful, memorable reminder that if we're going to survive the desert of disappointment, we need manna, bread from heaven, that connects us vertically with the Father and horizontally with each other. It's, it's after all, called communion. You can't take it by yourself. I know it's not surf and turf. 
I know it's just common, ordinary manna, bread. But it can do something extraordinary if we let it. Romans 5.5 5 is uh, the most troublesome verse for me in the Bible, honestly. It says, hope does not disappoint. Yes, it does. Hope hurts. We've, some of us have been hoping for certain things for decades. I've been praying certain prayers for decades, hoping, believing. And when I don't see God do what I hope he'll do and want him to do and need him to do when I need him to do it, Hope hurts. You know what that's like. Hope hurts in the short run. But maybe in the long run, hope is actually an antidote to fear, to disappointment. The capacity to keep hoping in a God with whom all things are possible, to keep hoping that God will show up and do for us what we cannot do for ourselves, that he will show up and heal our illness, cure our loved one, that God will uh, bring justice to the oppressed, that he will centralize the marginalized, that, that we keep hoping that God will somehow help our father get sober, help our sibling forgive us, that somehow, some way, someday, we keep hoping that God will liberate us from proclivities and tendencies and bondages that have plagued us throughout our lives. Maybe, just maybe, having high hopes in the midst of profound disappointment makes life worth living. Maybe, just maybe, hoping against all hope is the secret spice of life. And the only hope inducers, at least the best ones, are communion with the Father, communion with people, when we want to isolate the most. <laughs> Communion turns Hebrew slaves into a holy nation, turns fearful fishermen into apostolic leaders. Communion with the Father and with friends turns a cactus into a rose. So here's your homework. I'm a professor, so you would expect it. Here it is. I know it's finals week coming up. I get that. This isn't that hard. It won't take much time. It's hard. It won't take much time, though. Commune with the Father. I had a, a friend who was living with me back when I was a senior in college. I was pastoring a church 15 minutes off campus, big country house on a dirt road. A bunch of my friends lived with me from time to time. One of my buddies was Pat, lived in my house with me. Pat was engaged to be married to a girl named Melissa. He was just a junior in college. Uh, the night of the rehearsal came, the wedding rehearsal. Pat goes to church for the wedding rehearsal. The next day is the wedding, and Melissa goes AWOL. She's missing. She never shows up. Never told him she wasn't going to show up. She doesn't want to get married to Pat. So Pat is devastated, disappointed. He's crushed. I watch Pat in the midst of his disappointment, man. He is a mess. I don't th you know, he doesn't shower, shave, brush his teeth for like a month, man. He's just, uh, think John the Baptist on energy pills. I mean, he's just, he's a mess. And I remember like several times while I was sleeping, 
middle of the night, 1 or 2 a.m., Patrick will be downstairs belting out the psalms of lament as loud as he could, screaming, crying. How long, oh Lord, how long? He sounded like one of those industrial screamo rap songs. Scared me out of my sleep. I locked my door, I did. But Pat taught me a valuable lesson. That when you're most disappointed, even with God, to instead of isolating from God, take your honest, angst-filled, angry, doubt-filled prayer of lament to God, and it will get you through the day. Psalms of lament, Psalm 44, 60, 90. Here's what I want you to do in the next 24 hours. I want you to write your own psalm of lament. And I did it this weekend, so I'm not putting on you what I was not willing to do. And it was hard. I, I journaled out my disappointment with God, my disappointment with people, and my disappointment with myself, about eight pages. It was hard, it hurt, but I experienced communion with God in that moment that I had not experienced in quite some time. Write your psalm of lament. It will be therapy for your soul. And then commune with people. Uh, when I was pastoring, uh, there was this young couple in the church who got pregnant their first. At 20 weeks, they found out they're going to have a boy, so they, uh, they painted the, the baby's room blue, and they got the sports-themed onesies. A couple weeks later, they go back for another ultrasound, and they discover that the baby boy in her womb has abnormalities. So the church starts praying and fasting and anointing with oil. We're believing and we're hoping. They go back for another ultrasound and discover that the baby's abnormalities are even more severe than doctors initially thought. So we pray and we fast and we anoint and we hope and we believe. Well, delivery day comes. And their baby boy, boy is born. 45 minutes later, he dies. And I'm in the hospital room with them. Mom lying in the hospital bed with her lifeless baby boy on her belly. And dad standing by his wife's side, one hand on her head. Uh, one hand grasping the lifeless hand of his son. And I can see the salty tears of disappointment pouring off both of their faces onto their baby boy, wishing somehow that those baptistic waters would raise him from the dead and do a miracle. That didn't happen. But I saw another miracle. I saw this couple over the next few weeks and months in the midst of their devastating disappointment. Instead of clamming up and becoming a cactus as they had every right to do, isolating, keeping people at arm's length, they had every right to do it. They just opened their arms wide and received all the love, all the meals, all the prayers, all the tears, all the love that the congregation could give them. They just received it. 
And it was manna in the desert of their disappointment that sustained them and brought them to the promised land eventually. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take that psalm of lament that you write and I want you to share it with a friend, a counselor, a spiritual director, your small group, your accountability partner, a chaplain, a pastor. Don't go it alone. Moses needed 70 elders. Jesus needed Peter, James, and John, and he's the son of God. If Jesus needs friends, guess what? So do we. You cannot go it in the desert alone or you will be devoured by a Zazal, the desert demon. Reach out, share your psalm of lament in the next week. Jesus Christ and his body, the church, can absorb all of your disappointment and provide manna to sustain you there. My Italian grandmother would often say, she'd love to feed us, mangiare, mangiare, eat, eat. Eat the morsels of manna God provides you in the desert of disappointment. Communion with the Father, communion with friends. They and they alone will keep you growing and keep you going when the going gets tough, and it will. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. God's people said, Amen. You're dismissed. <laughs>